0: This is Sydney. And I'm Cher. And each week we get together to share with you a message of hope. It is through our own study and
1: our personal experiences that we offer the reminder to not only seek the light, but be the light.
0: You can find peace and there is hope.
1: And as long as one of us is slightly caffeinated, there will be laughter. Today's topic is be of good cheer. And we're so glad you're here.
0: I'm forging my way through the tip tip top I'm All right, Sydney,
1: I have a question for you. I think before you start, I need to get something off my chest so I can focus. Okay. My children put veggie straws in my water bottle today, Mm -hmm. like in the straw, and they thought it was so funny. And it's not funny because now my water tastes a little bit like veggie straws, and I just needed to get that out because I'm trying to be cheerful about this.
0: But you have no reason to be cheerful anymore. Your day's ruined.
1: I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to talk about cheerfulness when my children put veggie straws in my straw.
0: They literally contaminated your, what is it you're drinking?
1: My Hydro Flask. They literally... Water. They, it's they, definitely water. <laughs> anyway, I really liked when we were planning this episode that the same topic came to both of our minds of be of good cheer. And we both then said, why? <laughs> True story. We wondered why be of good cheer though? Why? Why could we possibly want to be of good cheer when there's so many options out there? Be of good rage. Be of good overspending on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Be of good caffeine use. I like that one. Be of good napping. That one's a great one. So we're just wondering why be of good cheer? Why though? I don't know why. Did you come up with an answer for it? Did you? Did you share? (laughs) Did you find an answer to be of good cheer and not of good rage?
0: Well, maybe. Maybe I did. I don't know. I was looking in the Bible because I thought that might help. Give me a reason why mm, I should idea. be of good cheer. Thank you. But this is what I noticed. I noticed that in Acts 27, it talks about Paul being in a terrible storm. And the boat is being tossed and turned. And everyone on the boat thinks that they're going to drown. And then Paul says to them, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe in God. Another example in the scriptures is the apostles were in a boat and they were getting tossed and turned in a terrible storm again. And then Jesus came out towards them walking on the water and he said, "'Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid.'" Now, I have actually been on the ocean before in storms. So as I was reading this, I was putting myself in that situation. I was on the ocean once when this the sea was rolling so bad that when we were in the bottom of the trough of the wave, you had to honk. The boat horn as you were coming back up onto the crest because you couldn't see out of it. There was just literally water all directions around you. And then you'd honk the horn so a boat could hear you so it could.
1: So they could just make a quick little U turn. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> or we could. Somebody could make a quick U turn. But that's what we had to do because the ocean was tossing and turning so badly. Now, I want to make this really clear I do not get seasick. I've been in storms before never got seasick. Nobody in my family gets seasick. But on that boat that day, I got seasick. My dad, who I swear he had the iron gut of all iron guts, he got seasick. Everyone on the boat got seasick and we were all throwing up. So when I read this, this is what I think of. I think of tossing, turning, puking, smelly, gross, yuck. And we have Paul saying and Jesus saying, be of good cheer, hard pass. That's probably my nightmare, <laughs> right? what you lived
1: through. I know it. It was terrifying. And I've never done that, but I have mm-hmm. been to a water park with my children, and the tossing and turning and stinky and vomiting is
0: actually about the same. It is. In fact, I think yours is worse because you are surrounded by teenagers. No offense, teenagers toddlers. Listening.
1: The teens are just I... going
0: and doing their thing. It's the toddlers. Who okay, are... but I teach the teenagers. I'll take the toddlers, even though they have stinky diapers. Water diapers, hopefully. Don't forget hopefully. to wear those mm-hmm. water diapers. It's important.
1: It just would be hard in both of those situations to get excited about being of good cheer. And then, furthermore, if someone tells you in a situation like that to be of good cheer, it would be so strange if they ended up overboard. It would be. Because that could be considered oh. annoying. I know that I was puking off the side of the boat. That- if I came up and I was like, hey, Cher. Sure. Don't forget what Paul said. You have good cheer (laughs) and splash. Like, can you swim?
0: (laughs) No, perfect. See you later. Now this is a murder podcast. (laughs) They have higher ratings, so that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hard, yeah, (laughs) higher ratings. Anyway, in all seriousness, Can we just focus on what's important here, Cher. Yes, I can. That was a joke because you say it it was a good joke. (laughs) So, in all seriousness, though, what I did notice that in both situations, God was there. Paul believed in God, and that is what made it so he was hopeful and cheerful. And then when Jesus was walking on the water, the apostles were going to be hopeful and cheerful because God was literally walking towards them. So for me, why is because we have so much more to live for in this life and the next life. There's something so much greater and more beautiful than this world that we're living in. I love that you shared that. It
1: reminds me of a talk given by Elder Holland, and he says in it, I testify of God's love and the Savior's power to calm the storm. Always remember in that biblical story that he was out there on the water also, and he faced the worst of it right along with the newest and youngest and most fearful. Only one who has fought against those waves is justified in telling us, as well as the sea, to be still. Only one who has taken the full brunt of such adversity could ever be justified in telling us in such times to be of good cheer. Such counsel is not a jaunty pep talk about the power of positive thinking, though positive thinking is much needed in the world. No, Christ knows better than all others that the trials of life can be very deep, and we are not shallow people if we are struggling with them. And that will actually tie into what we just said, that if I walked up to you and said, hey, be of good cheer, that could be annoying. But if somebody who has been through much worse says to you, don't give up, you keep walking, you keep trying because you will be okay, it's different. When it's Christ saying to us to keep going, that's worth listening to.
0: It definitely is because he went through a lot worse than any of us.
1: And he was walking on water. Which is pretty cool. I would trust someone maybe walking on water. Would you? What? I don't know. Would I? Well, if it was Jesus. I think it was Hank Smith, his talk on being of good cheer. He does say that to remember that it was in the middle of a storm and there was no streetlights. And so when there was a figure walking on water, they would have to trust who it was. It was dark. It would be scary. That'd it, be a holy crap moment. It would require a lot of faith. Mm-hmm to trust that that's the light of the world. It was dark.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty cheerful that the light of the world is coming towards you in a storm. When I was puking off the side of the boat, I would have appreciated God saying, it's going to be okay, we're going to get out of this. Because honestly, it was kind of scary. And you don't realize how big the ocean is until you're in a storm on it. You feel like I could die at any second because it's so big and massive and the waves are huge. So it's comforting to know that there is someone that is in control and bigger than yourself. So let's be honest. We know that life is difficult, but it is worse when you're grumpy. There was an article I read from Berkeley. They did some research and they said that there are six ways that happiness is good for your health. I'm just going to list them real fast and then I'll tell you what I was thinking as I was reading them. Happiness protects your heart. Happiness strengthens your immune system. Happiness combats stress. Happy people have fewer aches and pains. Happiness combats disease and disability. Happiness lengthens your life. As I was reading it, I was thinking, well, if you don't have any health problems, that does potentially give you the possibility of being more cheerful. If you feel like crap, then you tend not to be as cheerful. Speaking from experience, when I have felt like crap, I like to make everyone as miserable as me. Right. Like if I'm feeling bad, so must you. Exactly. It's a proverb. I'm sure it is. Again, I was thinking about it. Does happiness really make your health better? I think it does. I think there is something to it. It's the science, so it must be true. But on the flip side of it, I just, I can't. Her like, shimmy is back. I, that was Help not, me! It
1: wasn't a shimmy. That wasn't a shimmy. No, what was that? Jazz hands. <laughs>
0: that was jazz hands. Why
1: were your shoulders shimmying then? If it was, you can't raise your hands and jazz fingers without moving your shoulders. Otherwise, it's not authentic. I didn't mean to do that while you were talking, but I just felt like I needed a surge of energy.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm ready now. So anyway, I did a little bit more researching, and I found a survey. That was done by the Wall Street Journal that just came out in April 2023. And it said, this is a really sad stat right here. Only 12% of Americans describe themselves as very happy. Only 12%. That is tragic. That is tragic. That is not happy. But of that very happy group, over two thirds said that a belief in God is very important to them. And I found this interesting. It didn't matter What political side you were on, it was all-encompassing. You described yourself as very happy, was tied to your belief in the importance of God in your life.
1: That's fascinating. But it made me think, what is the happiest thing that you've seen most recently? Do you people watch? Are you a people watcher? Mm, Sometimes. I'm definitely a people watcher.
0: So I like to watch people. (laughs) Is that what that means? (laughs) Sit back and enjoy the definition of people watching go for it. Okay, I love
1: to watch interactions and people, which is people watching. Oh. And recently, Ben and I were in Chicago and we went to a Chicago Cubs game and I guess some people were watching the game while they were there. I was more enjoying the crowd situation and I saw the happiest thing. Do you want to know about yeah, it? Yeah, of course
0: I want okay. to know.
1: Yeah. Okay, there was this old grandpa and he walked in to the stadium happy as can be with a hot dog, a Chicago dog, of course. And he took that hot dog and he broke it in half and he gave it to his old man buddy and they ate their hot dog together. It was the most joyful thing (laughs) I have ever seen. I don't know what it was. It was just like two happy men at a game sharing a Chicago dog. They don't need
0: anything else. No, it was just good. Yes, and happy. The happiest thing I've seen today, I did not go to Chicago. I went to my backyard but I was watching two of my little nephews and a niece today and they were laughing their heads off. How can you not be happy seeing children laugh like that? It's so cute. It's amazing. And it's really interesting because the most simple things
1: are actually what people find joy in. So the other 88% of people that are finding a lack of happiness, um, there's a Yale professor who talks about why you're unhappy. And number one is people miswant, and it's defined by two doctors, Daniel Gilbert and Timothy Wilson, who termed this as miswanting, that people think you should want specific things due to what you see on social media or ads that you think, I really need a new house. I really need a new car. When I have this, I will be happy. When we get here, I will be happy. When I have millions of dollars, then I will be happy. And it's miswanting. You're not wanting the things that actually bring joy into your life because neither of us mentioned anything that was material. You mentioned laughter that you saw in people you love. And I saw two elderly men share a hot dog and they were so happy about it. (laughs) And we bought a hot dog there too. I got my own and I didn't share it <laughs> with anybody, but... <laughs> Were you happy? I was happy. And I mean, it's not that expensive. It's just a $48 <laughs> Chicago dog <laughs> at the Cubs game. <laughs> You're paying
0: for the ambiance. <laughs>
1: so along with the miss wanting, there was a really interesting study that was done in 1978. They had those who had just won massive lotteries. They compared those people with paraplegics, so people who had major loss of ability. They compared who was the happier group of people. And the findings were very fascinating. They found with the paraplegics that it took a little while for them to find joy again in their life. That it was obviously a- That makes sense. Yeah, it was a major loss and a terrifying situation for a lot of people. And also- The way that they felt was just a burden to the people they loved. They lost worth. And so they really did, especially the first six months, deal with a lot of depression and sadness and great loss. But they found that after the six months that they started to find purpose and they started to be able to cope with what had happened. And they started to find daily happiness once again. Then with the lottery winners, they found that they all started life-ruining behaviors. With the miswanting, now that they had all of this money, they should have a bigger house, that they should get a boat, that they should get jet skis, that they should go on trips, that they should do this, this, or that. The idea of thinking that they wanted what other people appeared to want, but in their hearts, that's not really what they wanted, And so they started collecting things they didn't even care about. And then it was a cycle that they thought, okay, I wasn't happy with this new truck. So I probably should get something else. I wasn't happy with this. I'm not fulfilled. So I'm going to buy more. I'm going to buy more. And then they had too much stuff, which was causing a heaviness and a weight. And they were losing their money fast. They also started inappropriate relationships, seeking that void through relationships that weren't genuine and being used and lustful. So on a day-to-day basis, they were finding those lottery winners were less happy
0: than the paraplegics. So you're telling me that if somebody was paralyzed, they got in an accident, they became paralyzed versus someone who just won $5 million in the lottery. That six months later, the person who had been in the accident and became paralyzed had a better chance of being happy than the $5 million lottery winner.
1: I'm not telling you this, but a study performed in <laughs> 1978 is. So I think someone should give both of us millions of dollars. Oh, mm-hmm. And we see mm-hmm. if we can find happiness. That is a good idea. So for research, listeners, for research, for science... Only for science. Purely science. We would like to have millions of dollars donated for this science. Mm -hmm. Good idea. I like where you're going. Because we love science and
0: evidence. Yes. Everything (laughs) Mm evidence-based.
1: Please just email us at our Gmail account, which is free. (laughs) Maybe we could buy a business email account, <laughs> but really, that is crazy. It is insane. And then, so I did wonder. I have a question for you. This is oh, no. unprepared because they I'm said nervous. they asked a lot of people, "What would you do if you won the lottery?" What would I do? Yeah. Oh, why you think about it for one second? Because he said when people are asked that question, they don't say, "Well, I hope I have inappropriate relationships and a drug addiction."
0: And then I was like, "Oh, no, well, no, that's no, what you I was didn't ask to say. me." Shoot. <laughs> What's your answer? I would probably fix some of the things on my house. And if I had a lot of money, I could do anything I wanted, right? I would definitely take my family on a vacation. A really good one. That's it. That's really all I got. I think you would be okay then. Oh, wait. I would, of course, help you, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. What <laughs> if, about you? I think I would
1: just buy a gold-plated Gucci symbol to put on my BMW. Oh,
0: that's a really good idea.
1: I wouldn't do. Did you know I was just kidding? No,
0: kidding. She's not kidding. Yes, I am. I don't I
1: like Louis Vuitton. Oh (laughs) either way, my point is it's gonna get stolen. I would hire a body a car guard (laughs) all day, cleans and cooks and massages my feet.
0: I like where you're going. Dream big. Anyway, back to the point.
1: She listed two, and so the first one was the miss wanting. The second was what she referred to as a reference point, that it's comparison. And we've heard the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And I've seen it with my little children who might be holding candy in their hands and look over at their sibling who has a stuffed animal in their hands. And they're all of a sudden completely dissatisfied that they don't have what someone else has. We just tend to focus on what other people have instead of what we have. So those were two takeaways from what will keep you from being happy and cheerful
0: is miswanting and comparison. I'd like to say something about comparison. I am always so grateful that God doesn't give me what I deserve. Because if I got what I deserve, I probably wouldn't like it. That's how I look at it.
1: I need you to explain a little bit more what you mean by that.
0: I am always grateful that God doesn't give me what I actually deserve. You know what? It's true. Let me tell you, as a teacher, I've heard so many times, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I always say to them, and you need to be grateful that life's not fair because you actually might get what you deserve and you probably wouldn't like it very much. That's true. If we really got what we deserved, mm, have mercy. I think I think too highly of myself.
1: (laughs) I was like, I'd
0: have such a lush life. (laughs) I'll reflect
1: on this. Thank you. <laughs> I'm serious. I am Look, grateful. I do deserve that Gucci gold
0: plated belt. <laughs> I'm just grateful I have what I have and I didn't I get what to- I deserved. I am so grateful for that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm going to reflect on this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on, how do we be of good cheer, Sydney, when nothing is
1: cheerful? I don't think nothing is cheerful. Okay, let me tell you what happened today. My children have been begging to get their bikes fixed so that we can go for bike rides all summer. And well, at the end of the summer, guess what? Got done. I was very excited that we had our bikes all done and ready. And so this morning I surprised them. As soon as they woke up, we went for a bike ride. And they were very happy about it. And Iana fell about four minutes into the bike ride because it's been a while since she's been on a bike due to a lack of tires. (laughs) And then we got her up. She got going again, and she fell again about 10 (laughs) seconds later. And then Ben decided to get off his bike and help her. But it was a bucket bike, and they're really heavy in the back. And he fell, and it landed on him. (laughs) And Titus and I gasped with laughter at one point Iana was smashed under her bike and Ben was smashed under his and they were both in the middle of the road oh no and then we get back up and we're going everyone's like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna keep going and I swear five seconds later the sweet lady was on a walk and she's like oh how sweet you guys must be having the best time And then I laughed again so hard. (laughs) It's a good thing you got those bikes fixed. I know, so that I could (laughs) injure my family. Okay, the point. I have a point. I think humor is critical for us to find cheerfulness. I think it just breaks the cycle. I feel like you could either have anger or that could be defeated with laughter. Laughing at other people, apparently from my story, but also at yourself.
0: (laughs) I agree. Working at a school that was a little rough for over 30 years, I'm just going to tell you right now, the reason I was able to do this every day is because I laughed a lot. The kids helped me to laugh. I learned so much from them. They are just so, oh, they're so resilient and so strong and they find happiness even though they have terrible things going on at home. They have been through wars. They are or have been in awful situations and they're still able to find joy and laughter. That's one of the things I've really learned from them is sometimes when you're in that rough situation, because sometimes it was really hard, but also every day I found something that we could laugh at all together and made me want to stay there because you can find joy in those little things. Just as an example, one of the stories that provided us laughter, the first part of the story isn't as funny, but just hang with me. My dad passed away and then a couple weeks later, I was in my room and it was during my planning period. And the teacher from across the hall from me came over and there was a student who had missed his math test and he needed to make it up. So he's like, can you just sit in your room and take his math test? And I was like, sure. This kid is hardcore. He's a generational gang member. He sits down, he starts taking his test, and I'm just working on my computer. And he kept staring at me. And finally, I was so annoyed with him. I finally just said, what? And he didn't say anything. And I'm like, what do you want? And he said, (laughs) with these piercing dark eyes, he said to me, you still tripping about your dad? (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. I know. I said, well, I'm still a little sad and I do miss him, but I think I'm doing okay. And as I was talking, he was nodding. He still had these very serious eyes and he was nodding in approval. When I got done, he said, I, and then he started taking his math test. I, Laughed so hard after because it was so sincere and so sweet. But then I thought about it at another school. I think they would have got mad because that might be seen as a little disrespectful, but I could not wait to tell all the teachers at lunch. And that became a big joke for the remainder of my time there. You still tripping about your dad? It was funny. And that's the kind of things that just pushed us along and got us through is those little moments that were actually sincere and humorous all at the same time. (laughs) I love that so much. My turn for a story.
1: I love this one from Elder Worthlin. He talks about his daughter was going to go on a blind date, and he just didn't really approve of the idea of a blind date and not knowing the young lad, but they are going to allow it. The night came. She was all dolled up, ready to go. The car pulls in, and a gentleman comes to the front door to get the daughter, and she brings him in, introduces everyone to the man, And he said that he does remember feeling he was a bit older than he would have expected. But she went and they walked out to the car, got in together, and the car didn't move for a while. And they were watching out the window wondering why they hadn't left. And then eventually both get out of the car and she's beat red, (laughs) walks in. To only discover that he was there for a daughter, but not that one. He was there for a different daughter who had agreed to babysit for him and his wife. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And she thought it was her blind date. He said that his family was laughing so hard and so was she that when the real blind date came, he never met the guy because he was in the kitchen laughing so hard still (laughs) that he never got to meet him. He said of that story, that was such a wonderful time for his family to see that instead of getting embarrassed and angry and annoyed that they used laughter to overcome anything, any other emotion. And it has stayed in their family as a story, just like the you trip it about your dad, it becomes part of your life and part of your story. And I thought that was so fun. I love that story.
0: Yeah, that is a great story. I have one more. Every year at the end of the year, the kids get to go on this field trip. It's their life is going on this big field trip. And one year we had a principal that was probably one of the worst human beings I have ever met in my entire life. He was not a good principal. I'll just leave it at that.
1: And his name is?
0: (laughs) His name is? We like to call him Lord Farquad. Oh. So Lord Farquaad, he came out with all these rules and expectations for these kids to go on this field trip, which, hey, I'm a rule follower and I like high expectations. But the way he set it up, he actually targeted some of the kids and made it absolutely impossible for them to be able to go. Two of the kids that couldn't go were definitely in a gang. I wouldn't say they were the best children, but they were fine in class most of the time if they weren't. But most of the time they were great and they were funny. They couldn't go on this big fat field trip. Well, we got to our destination and then who walks in and went and found their teachers? These two gang kids that weren't allowed to go on the field trip because they didn't meet the expectations. They come and find their teachers. What are we supposed to be doing at this point? They're not supposed to be there, but they looked terrible, Sydney. They looked like they had gone to war. So let me just tell you what had happened. These two kids decided that they were going to go on this field trip no matter what this jerk principal said. So they got on public transportation. It was probably 40 miles away from our school. They ran across eight lanes of the highway, all eight of them, speed limit 70. Oh, my gosh got to a cow pasture, which I didn't even know there was a cow pasture in the vicinity, ran through the cow pasture. They had to jump over multiple fences. They were smelly. They had blood all over them. (laughs) They had ripped their shirts from climbing over the fence. And when we saw them, one of the teachers said to them, what happened to you? And in all seriousness, they did not crack a smile. One of them said, the struggle is real, Miss Monroe. The struggle is real. <laughs> so that became our theme for the rest of forever. Whenever anything happened, we would just say, the struggle is real, Miss Monroe. The struggle is real. Can you believe they did that? No, it's like a modern planes, trains, and automobiles it really with like, was. gangster
1: paradise it, playing in
0: the background. And you know what's really weird? They didn't have to stay with us. They stayed with us the entire rest of the day. So naughty and hilarious. I love that. So the struggle is real, Sydney. (sighs) The struggle struggle is is real. You be tripping.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, since I don't want to end on your story, I have another story. (laughs) Oh, good. I loved the story that was shared in a talk by Hank Smith so much about his friend. Her name is Chris Belcher, and she actually does have a book that's called Hard Times and Holy Places. So her story is that when she was three months old, she was diagnosed with cancer and they did significant amounts of radiation on her and she did overcome the cancer, but it did cause mostly blindness. And so she grew up partially blind, but then eventually would become fully blind when she was 40 and they had to perform a surgery and remove her left eye and she lost all her sight. She talks about the struggle The following six weeks of the recovery. And her husband said to her, Chris, it's time. How about you come to church with me today? And she said, no way. I am not going to church. And he said, why aren't you going to go to church? And she said, I'm recovering. And he said, honey, they took your eyes, not your legs. You can go. And she said, no, I'm not going to go. If I go, people are going to give me attention. They're going to say, oh, we love you. We're so proud of you. You are so strong. And I don't want to hear that. I'm not interested in hearing that. And I'm not interested in people coming up and talking to me. I need to stay. And her two boys who were only three and five at the time she lost her full sight, came in and said, mom, come with us. And at that point, it was ruined and she had to go. And she said that when she showed up, almost immediately, a woman came up to her and said, oh, I love you so much. And you're so strong. And she's like, oh, thanks. And she said that the woman said, I've thought a lot about you and I've been praying for you and I'm going to help you, Chris. And Chris said, okay, that's nice. Thank you. All the things she didn't want. And she said, I'm going to teach your children sign language. (laughs) That's so helpful. And Chris said that she had not laughed or smiled or had a funny thought for six weeks. And she just stood there quiet and said, I don't think that's necessary. And the woman persisted. And she said, no, Chris, your kids need to know how to communicate to you. I will teach everybody sign language. And she said she broke into full laughter at the
0: thought. Now, if you do not get this, Cher will explain it to you. I actually had a friend do that at work with a mom whose child was blind. Same thing at parent-teachers conference, she'd teach the class sign language so they could communicate. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) And so this woman who has lost all of her sight
1: and had so many trials come as a young mom and just having young children that she just hoped that she could remember what their little faces looked like. She went through so much and had so much heartbreak and she says this about adversity. No one schedules adversity. We don't look at our daily planners and say, Hey, you know what? Today I'll drop off the kids at school. Then I'll go grocery shopping. Then I'll get a fatal disease, pick up the dry cleaning, have marital problems and take dinner to sister. So-and-so if I have time, maybe I'll lose my job or the house can burn down or should I push that off until tomorrow? In this mortal world, We don't need to schedule mortal trials. They will come. Don't allow your heart to be hardened by hard times. Make the choice to turn to Christ. There is purpose in your suffering. You and I are being changed, remodeled, stretched, and polished for eternal glory. If we trust in and choose Christ in our difficult and hard times, they will become holy. I may have lost my sight, but my vision has never been clearer. That's beautiful. For those interested, she does have a book again, Hard Times and Holy
0: Places. I did not read it, but you could. (laughs) 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 All right, moving on. How do we learn to be cheerful, especially in difficult situations? One of the things that I looked up is from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and this is what he said of how we can learn to be cheerful. Being happy is meant to be a purposeful decision we make. Being happy is our decision and our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of our parents, friends, or family. Be happy, God commands us, regardless of circumstance. And then he gives the scripture in Deuteronomy 16, verse 15, where it says, Because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy increase, and in all the works of thine hand, therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. Rabbi Daniel Lappin then goes on to say, I don't want to leave you with a reminder to be happy without also offering an ancient Jewish wisdom technique for increasing happiness. You ready? Yes. Okay, here it is. Growth. Find a program of growth and self-improvement, both physical and spiritual. He makes it so simple. Just improve every single day. Do the very best you can. See those little improvements in your life. Growth. And that is the ancient Jewish technique for increasing happiness. It seems so simple. It seems simple,
1: but growth is super challenging. Yeah. And challenges us. And it hurts. And it's not fun. And we're out of the comfort zone. Growth sounds simple, but it's actually quite difficult to grow. And it requires effort. And
0: sometimes you don't want to grow. You just want to go
1: back to bed and try again next time.
0: I think it's interesting, too, when we're talking about growth and talking about the belief in God, that's something that we should be working towards is growing our relationship with our Father in heaven. Because that will help us to be happy and help us to be cheerful. Because God does say, how many times in the scriptures does he say, be of good cheer when you're getting thrown in prison and eaten by lions and all these horrible things. Oh, it's all right. Be of good cheer. You still tripping about those lions eating you?
1: (laughs) I really love that. And it goes great with the ending of Lori Santos speech that she gives about how to not be happy, basically (laughs) with the miswanting and comparing. But she says that we are capable of rewiring ourselves, that we can behave differently. And that if you're not someone who naturally can find happiness and joy in really difficult situations, that's okay. Most people cannot. We're actually just wired to reproduce and to survive. And outside of that, it doesn't matter how happy we are to the science. It only matters that we just keep surviving, but you can rewire your brain and you can have a different outcome and you can learn how to be more cheerful and that will benefit your health and your life. So she gives five ways to do it. She says social connection, which we just talked about relationships. She said that is number one on the list that if you're physically around others, that doesn't mean to connect on a network, but to physically be around people that will increase your cheerfulness level. But I think it probably depends on who you're around a little bit. Yeah, So so maybe a little picky about who you surround yourself with. But social connection matters, relationships matter. We've seen that in studies with your relationship with God and your relationship with family and friends. We are seeing that over and over with each episode we do, that your relationships matter the most in your life for the outcome of joy and happiness. The second one was being very focused on others. She said, we do live in a world that we talk a lot about self-love, and that is important, But the people who are having a lot of joy and happiness are serving other people and they're thinking of others more frequently. And I loved one of the suggestions she gives, which was compliment more. I just thought that was a simple way to start. And even this morning, the men that are fixing some landscaping issues, my daughter woke up very grumpy. And then wrecked her bike several (laughs) times and remained in that grumpy state. And at one point, Titus suggested they take everybody Coca-Cola's. And she did. And it changed her entire mood from there. It's just simple acts of service. When you just sometimes get so tangled up in your own emotions, sometimes the only thing you could do is just think of somebody else. And it was such a small act to go and take a soda, but it changed her mood more than it probably affected them. Then third, gratitude. She said to write down three things every evening and in two weeks time, you will see a difference in how you're feeling. Four, savoring. She said a lot of people don't savor what they have. She used the example of a coffee. You really can't wait to go get your morning coffee, but then you down it real quick while you write out an email. She said, if you take time to savor what it is that you have, savor the moment, calm down, be present and savor whatever it is, then you will be happier. And the last one was to exercise, which I think she's probably wrong. So
0: what does she know? Says Sydney, who goes to the gym every day. (laughs) I love the gym. (laughs) That's where the massage
1: chair is. (laughs) So she said, you don't have to go crazy. You don't have to jump right into a marathon, but that you could just move your body 20 minutes a day and it will help you be more cheerful. So if you have any desire at all to be more cheerful, there's some options. If you don't, miserable troll.
0: (laughs) I had a thought while you were talking. I was thinking of being at work and in a classroom of 48th graders, and obviously a lot of personalities and different dynamics going on in the room. And one of the things I was thinking of is you had your list of five things, and they seem so simple. You know what I think is a tragedy is our culture is doing everything to push people away from everything you just said. Everything you just said was not cool. It's cool to have a grumpy face and to walk around miserable and to not talk to people. All the things that are cool, you did not list off. Or to over
1: abuse it, like exercise. Don't exercise because it brings you health and you're taking care of yourself, but exercise so you look a certain way. The world is trying to thieve the joy that
0: is available to us all. Right. That is a tragedy. And that goes back to that's probably why there's only 12% of americans that are very happy satan is doing everything he can to ruin all the things that can and will make you happy and all of those things are turning your heart and learning and growing that relationship with god that will and can bring you happiness in your life throughout all the crazy those are the things that truly can bring you happiness and the world our culture is doing everything it can to push us away from that
1: And in the beginning, our question led to, but why be cheerful? And I did spend time reflecting and trying to find an answer. And luckily it came before the end of this podcast. But for me, the reason is because trials and pain and losses and heartaches are not an option. They're coming our way. But our attitude and our outlook is an option. And it's a very good option. It's a very good option for you and for those around you. You will live a more fulfilled life happy, joyful life, if you choose to make that your option, that you're choosing in this moment to be cheerful no matter what.
0: Absolutely. And that's what Rabbi Lappin was saying too, is that being happy is our decision and our responsibility. Years ago, when I coached basketball, one of the things that we would always tell the girls is that, you can't control what is going on in the game. You can't control what's going on in your life. But the one thing you can control is your attitude. That is something you actually have control over of the time.
1: And if it's a difficult challenge for you to control it because it sounds nice. It does sound nice. But sometimes it is really hard to control Mm -hmm. how you're feeling.
0: Yeah, because you just want to be mad and angry and...
1: Sometimes. Rage. Yes. We just feel so angry and grumpy and we just want to stay there. Maybe reasons of pride or whatever it is that's causing you to just want to stay there and be fuming mad You can work on being more cheerful. You can work on rewiring
0: with those very simple yet daunting things. Like the rabbi said, it's growth. It's just all about growth. It's not about perfection or getting it right the first time. It's just about growing. For our final thoughts, we just want to go back to where we started again today. And that is in the terrible storm of life, when you are getting tossed and turned and thrown all over the place, remember that the Savior said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Remember that. I know it's hard, and we have all been there when it just stinks, but God is there, and that does give me hope, and it does bring me joy in this life.
1: And President Hinckley said, my plea is that we stop seeking out the storms and enjoy more fully the sunlight. I am asking that we look a little deeper for the good. To help with this looking for the good, our challenge this week is to take from Lori Santos. And take number three on her list of rewiring, which is gratitude. She said in a group study that the people who wrote three to five things down that they were genuinely grateful for every night for two weeks, that they, every single one of them felt more joy by the end of the two weeks. So our challenge is to do this for two weeks straight, every night, write down three to five things that you're genuinely grateful for and see what
0: happens for you. Can I put it in my iPhone? Yes, you can write
1: it however it works for you. Thank you. On that note, have an excellent week and be of good cheer and the best thing you could do is not win the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> Our challenge this week is for you to not win the lottery because we care. Done. Have a good week.
0: I'm forging my way through the tip, tip, top. i living my life through the drip, drip, drop. When he turns Oh, one more thing. Happy birthday to my big brother. Thanks for being my example and always looking out for me. Also, it's Sydney's birthday today. Happy birthday, Sydney. I'm grateful for your humor, your boundless energy, and I'm so grateful God put your positive vibes in my life. Happy birthday.